Howdy, Fat Guy Forum listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, just a reminder that there is a great way for you to support the podcast and keep it going, and that's by joining the Fat Guy Forum Patreon that you can find at patreon.com slash keto. I use all the funds from the Patreon to go for the subscriptions and equipment that are used on the podcast, and if you join now, you will have the opportunity to be a part of helping decide the direction of the podcast as we dive into some new topics and try out a few new things. So I look forward to having you on board. Sign up today. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet. Excited, as always, to have you here with us once again. Today with me, I've got another amazing dude who's going to talk to you about his journey and Hopefully, we'll get into some different topics. As many of you may know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you know it's something that men aren't talking about a lot, so I'm sure that's a topic we're going to dive into, and I'm just excited to have him here today, and his name is Rob. Rob, how are you doing? Great, Gourmet. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to have you here, man. Let's not keep anything from the people much longer. Let's start. Tell us, Rob, what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? What doesn't qualify me to be on the fat guy forum? Um, I was a kid who grew up in a typical Italian family in the Northeast. So, you know, my, my life revolved around food to a certain level. Uh, and I was, a, I was a chubby kid growing up. Um, and then when I got to high school, started playing football, got down to a good shape, and then did every roller coaster imaginable. Uh, went to college, essentially gained the freshman 15 every year. Uh, got my first job out of college, started to follow that career path, and the weight just kept going on. And I would roller coaster. It would be something where I would start a diet or exercise. I'd do it intensely for three months. I'd bring the weight back down. I'd get gain another 40 pounds. You know, uh, another life milestone would hit. I'd gain some weight. I'd go and start another diet. I'd shoot it back down. And the next thing you know, I'm up even higher. And that brought me to about last October, where I was up to about 365 pounds. So let's 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 talk about that. What do you think started that kind of roller coaster for you? I think, like as a young child, I had a weird relationship with food, where I I liked it almost unreasonably. You know, diet was dining was kind of part of what we do, and it was one of those things that. I would continuously have no problem at an Italian dinner table on Sunday having two, three, four helpings of ravioli, lasagna, pasta, any carb imaginable, and going to town with it. Um, you know, and then when you get to a certain age where you're working out, you kind of just justify every action that you have by working it off. So I would justify the ability to eat large amounts by saying, oh, I'm playing a sport and I can just burn this off in practice. Or, hey, you know, it's a stressful time. I can totally eat. I justify it. So food eventually became this point where I used it to celebrate. I used it when I was feeling bad. I used it when I had a rough day. It was a comfort thing that I built a weird psychological attachment with that I think is pretty common, but definitely not good. Mm. And at, as you were growing up and kind of going through this, and even as, you know, like you said, high school, you played football. Was there ever a point where like family or friends were concerned about your weight or was it just kind of that was who you were and it was just, it kind of just came to your attention from time to time? So I was always a biggerish person. So it was one of those things that it would be super weird. I would get a little heavy 
And then I would drop the weight and then everyone say, man, you, you really got big. Good thing you're not big anymore. And then I would gain even more weight. Uh, and then it would come down and be like, oh man, glad to see you're back at a normal weight. So it was one of those that I knew my friends were aware of it, but they also were really aware of not bringing it up to me. So it became this weird relationship that no one would really tell you with afterwards. And even um, last year when I got uh, VSG surgery, it was one of those things that when the weight started to come off, everyone was like, man, I'm really afraid for you. I, I didn't know if you were going to make it this time through. So it was it was eye opening to see that. Yeah, and I think that's a common experience because people get afraid to to speak up because they don't want to offend you or they don't want to hurt you or they're worried about you know I know I have I have people in my life that were worried that saying something would make the the situation worse. So when you open the door for them to be able to make a comment, whether it's because you talk about the fact that you're losing weight or you're making a choice or things along those lines, it's like the floodgates open. And I think there's something that goes back to going with that as a bigger kid growing up. There's clearly kids that are going to make fun of you or mock you. And one of the defense mechanisms that I naturally built was I knew how to tear people down before I even met them. I would walk into a room and I could size up everyone so that if anyone said anything about my weight, I had a comment almost locked and loaded and ready to go. And it's an unhealthy way to grow up and to build your relationships. So it was something that, you know, I had to really work on when I would go into a room is I would have to figure out how to win the room just so that people wouldn't have to see the big guy in there and just see me as a normal person. Understood, man. And what. So with having attempt, you know, losing weight and gaining weight and kind of being on that up and down place, like before we even kind of get to last year, like what do you think it was? that was was it that relationship with food or what do you think it was that was preventing you from staying in that place of success i think one of the big problems with me is i would get so hell-bent on a number and it was one of those things at high school i weighed about like 225 when i graduated and everything after high school i was like man if i could just get to 225 my life would be perfect and i'd start to have some success and i followed the same pattern every time I would get to a certain number, I would hit a plateau, and then people would say, well, you look great. So I would almost hang up like the mission accomplished sign, and all of a sudden it was, hey, you just calorie counted, uh, carb restricted, did everything possible, and we're working out three days a week. Well, I hit this number, so I'm going to stop doing all of that, and I'm going to eat three times as bad because I hit my goal. And I think it's one of those things that I'm really working with through my therapist and with other things of this is a lifelong process that's never going to end for me. And it's something that it's really difficult to come to terms with sometimes is this idea that whenever I get to my goal weight or my ideal weight, I now have to maintain this lifestyle in order to have success. And that, you know, the weight can come back if I don't maintain and work on it. Yeah, I think it's it's that piece that the journey never really ends once you get it started. That is so hard because I think we're programmed to see finish lines. Even just that idea of having a goal weight can sometimes work against us in the end because it's like, okay, I did it. You know, I've accomplished it. And it's so easy then to just kind of throw away what we did to accomplish it because we, we have that desire to not, not want to have to be in process forever. 
Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of the times, you know, especially for men in our community, we are so goal-driven when it comes to our careers, how we're viewed, how we break down things, that we naturally just, we aim and we gun for these things. So it's one of those, when we get it, we use it as a badge of pride that we walk around with. And then other times, when we don't get it, it becomes a point of embarrassment. And it was one of those things that when I couldn't lose the weight at times, it would snowball even worse because I knew I wasn't losing the weight like I did before. People saw me not losing the weight like I did before. And because of that, that would cause me to binge eat because I felt bad. And that was how I could find comfort at times. No, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a destructive cycle that reinforces itself. And Rob, what was life like when you got to that kind of heaviest point? I want to say that I was still what I thought was happy. Um, there were a lot of behaviors that just, when I look back, were absolutely terrible for me. Um, when I was at my highest, I was working as an administrator, and it was very common for me to sit at my desk all day, or maybe I would do observations and get into some classrooms, but I would be sitting down for the most of it. And it was one of those that if I had a big day coming up, I would stop at Taco Bell for breakfast and then still get Dunkin' Donuts because I didn't like the coffee at Taco Bell. And then, you know, it was this nasty habit of, wow, well, I'm eating 3,000 calories in the morning before I even start my work day. Then I would be coming in early, staying late to do my job. Uh, and then next thing you know, I'm coming home and I'm hitting that same Dunkin' Donuts and that same Taco Bell because I'm justifying that I either got a lot done or I didn't get a lot done. And there was a problem that I found mental justification with food and it just built a very unhappy relationship. You know, Fridays would come around and all of a sudden it was, I need to have that pizza and I need to have that cheesesteak because I either had a great week or I had a bad week. And it's pretty, it's pretty bad when you start using food as a reward on both ends of the spectrum. So it's you're putting about 4,000 calories in at dinner, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I think that's, that's something a lot of people, like a, a lot of times, you know, you can ask someone and say, well, you know, was food something that you used to make you happy? And the person will say, yes. Is food something that you used, you know, to celebrate? Well, yes. So it's like it was not just about joy. It was about really in the end, like, and you know this, like it's about finding an excuse to have the food, you know, find like we build those pathways that not only help us cope with the emotion, but we're applying it to all emotion. We're applying it to everywhere. So it's not just I use food when I'm really sad. It's I use food no matter what the emotion is. I see an opportunity and I take it. Absolutely. I think as uh, all big guys, we could play a fun game of how can I justify this meal? And you could almost go tit for tat for anyone in our community and say, all right, um, Cinco de Mayo, how can you justify this meal? Well, it's cultural. I'm showing diversity. I absolutely have to have 17 enchiladas. And it's one of those things that you just naturally do. But it was so messed up where I would hit goal weights and I would celebrate by getting like double stuffed Oreos and two large pizzas, which is so counterproductive to what you're trying to do in the first place. Oh, I, we see it all the time. You know, when someone's like, when I hit my goal weight, I'm going to finally have X. You know, when I do this, I'm going to give, and it's like, you, you, you almost want to like take the person to be like, that's like saying, when I escape this trap, I want to jump into another one. 
Exactly. Or it's, hey, I just worked so hard to get this successful thing. Let me shoot myself in the foot. Let me see what's the biggest shotgun I could put to my foot on this one after working so hard to hit that goal. And it's been something that I've really struggled with as I go through this process this time is how do you build those healthy, positive rewards that aren't food related or aren't negative behavior related? And that's something that I think we all have to work on is finding our ways to celebrate without either spending an excessive amount of money or spending an excessive amount of calories. And I, I definitely want to talk about that, but I do want to kind of get us to where you're at because you, you mentioned you had the VSG surgery, which is vertical sleeve gastrectomy. Am I doing yes, am I getting you, that right? You, you say it better than I do. Um, it's one of those things that I will always say VSG and it's probably my worst trait that I have is that I can't pronounce the surgery that's changed my life. So it's, uh, it's fun. I can't say it. I'm not even going to try. Well, and I think it's known as VSG by everyone now, but just in case there's anyone listening who wasn't aware, I'm trying to give them something to Google, I guess. I guess they could Google VSG though. So what, tell us, talk about what brought you to that point and to make that decision. Absolutely. So like I said, I had worked various administrative jobs. I had been getting into more of a sedentary lifestyle. And next thing you know, I was getting up to about 350, 355. And I was that guy who I always looked at like Kevin James, or I was that big jovial guy where I didn't have a body image issue. I just said that, oh, look, I'm big. So it was one of those things that I just kind of naturally came to that decision. And Next thing you know, I have my annual pulmonologist appointment. And for those of you who don't know, a pulmonologist is that person who figures out how your breathing works because I used to snore horribly. And my wife finally sent me to one. I went for years. I wear a CPAP machine. I absolutely love it. So I go to my pulmonologist appointment. And essentially, he comes in and he does that, Rob, uh, we got to talk. And I was like, okay, you know, and he's like, well, look, uh, this isn't easy to say you're burning out your CPAP machine. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll just get like a bigger size, right? And he's like, no, you don't, you don't understand. You're at the big boy. This is it. And I was like, oh, okay, so what, what happens next? He's like, well, there's a very good chance you could just go to sleep and not wake up. And I'm like, oh, like unconscious? And he's like, no, like dead. So uh, in true men's health fashion, I came home. My wife asked me how my appointment went, and I said, oh, it was great. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to go do some work on the computer. And as a teacher, there's no work to do in August. So she kind of knew what was up. Uh, but that was when I realized, like, I got to change something. You know, I have two young kids and, you know, it got very scary very quick of there's a chance I could go to sleep and not wake up. So I, I went back to my primary healthcare physician. Uh, he got me connected with a bariatric surgeon and I started that whole process and I was so proud to say that uh, through my surgery process, through Penn Medicine, I essentially had to do six months of intensive training before I could even get the surgery. And that included, you know, a psychological eval. That was uh, just small things. Like, you need to start counting all your calories. You need to start trying to use your left hand to eat. Don't drink 30 minutes before, 30 minutes after. And through doing all that process from October to my pre-surgery weight, I had dropped like 50 pounds. So it was one of those things that uh, I was really proud of. And then after surgery, I came out and it's a whole diet that you have to go through. So two weeks before you're doing all liquids, two weeks after you're doing all liquids, you move to purees after that. 
And slowly and surely you reintroduce food, but by psychologically changing my relationship and my behaviors with food from those first six months, I really felt like it gave me the confidence to go in and come out and have success on the other side. And it's one of those things that I still continue to go to support group. I still continue to go to therapy. I still work with my psychologist to make sure that I'm doing all of these tools and putting them together to have success on this side of surgery. Which is great to hear because I think we all know, and for many of the stories that have been on this, this show even already, surgery is a tool. Like every other tool that's out there when it comes to weight loss and health. So you have to use that tool properly. And it sounds like for you, you, you built a structure you needed to actually kind of capitalize on the tool, use it properly, and kind of build the changes that you needed to be making. Like, was there ever a point where you either doubted having the surgery or regretted having it? Like, was that ever something that came Every into play day. for you? Every day, Gormy. I mean, the first thing you do when you tell anyone in your life you're getting bariatric surgery, the first thing they will tell you is their aunt's cousin's sister's brother's boyfriend got this back in 1999 he lost 800 pounds and then he gained 1500 over the next 17 years like that's every person you ever talk to about bariatric surgery and it was one of those things that you get nervous about but um i was really happy uh where i went to get the surgery did a really good job of showing this is how you have success but more importantly this is where people stumble and one of the things I was really proudest and that they really focused on was how do you have a support group in your life that makes sure that you're successful? And they actually encouraged you to bring family members and friends to support group. So I was really grateful that my wife was on board from the beginning about it. But one of the things I was able to do was bring my parents and in true great, um, you know, Italian, Irish mom and dad. Uh, when I told him I was getting bariatric surgery, the first thing he said, what did we do wrong? And it's like, it had nothing to do with me. My parents put a healthy plate in front of me every day. It was my choices after I got out from under the roof that got us there. But as I told them, they started changing their habits and behaviors around me. As I told my friends, which, you know, as a man, it's tough, I think, especially for us to admit, like, we kind of failed to a certain extent. And there's a whole stigma of this idea that, you're getting this surgery because you failed. And that's not the case. It was that I needed more support than just diet and exercise could give. And one of the proudest things I have is I have a great group of friends who were like, you know what? Okay, you're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it went from us going to the bar on Friday nights before COVID, obviously, to we're going to go outside and we're going to play pickleball, or we're going to walk five miles, or we're just going to do things. And part of the thing that I did was starting just getting 15,000 steps a day. And one of the great things is I could call my friends and my family members who knew that if he's calling you, he's walking and he needs someone to talk and talk him through the walk. So it was one of those things that I would pretty much burn through my cell phone on my walks, but I would be calling friends, family who supported me through this process and really helped me get through it. And Let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, that idea of, especially if you've lived a life on a roller coaster when it comes to your weight, telling people that you're doing something again, you know, like uh, going through that process. What do you think are the keys to like 
reaching like building that support network like what what did it was it just that the people were all great in your life or do you think it was you know you were able to really express to them that that was something you needed i think it was one for me where i didn't openly announce that i was going to have the surgery to everyone all at once i really struggled with it one of the things that i really considered was when i started this was i wasn't going to tell anyone i was getting this surgery and that I was just going to go in on a Monday, come out on a Tuesday uh, and, and just say, hey, you know, uh, I started finally dieting and this time it's working. And thank God my wife um, pretty much told me that's the worst idea I could have possibly had. And she says that at least once a week. But this one was really good, I have to say. Uh, so it was one of those that she was like, well, why don't we start by telling your parents? And it was one of those things when I sat them down and I explained to them, I had such anxiety. When we were in support group, one of the things they made us do is say, what's one thing that you're proud of? And I broke down and cried because as a bigger guy, as an older son, as someone who works so hard to please and help people, I had to admit that I couldn't even help myself. And that that just struck me to such a level. And when my mom and dad saw me literally break down in front of a room full of strangers, uh, that's when they got it. And it was helpful because I then went to my best friend and kind of told him and his dad had the procedure. And it was one of those things that his dad used to be my boss at one point. And when I went to talk to him, he pretty much was like, here's what you got to do. And I had another boss who actually had the procedure. He has been a great mentor to me. So it was really just taking the time to tell each person individually. And they realized like, look, this is it. This is the final chance for you. And the difference between this time and every other time is when I go over to my parents' house for Sunday dinner, they make sure that they either have something properly built for me or they're okay with me bringing something to me. Um, you know, if I go out to a social gathering, my friends know, hey, this is what I have for you or this is what we have to build you successful. And it's just been something phenomenal that it's really strengthened my relationships. It's made it better for the people around me. And unfortunately, there's been some people that I've kind of had to say goodbye to. But for the people who decide to stay on with me, it's been phenomenal. That's awesome to hear, man. And I'm curious because I think we talk a lot about in the kind of the pre-surgery place about you know the liquid diet and getting ready for that and, and what that's involved. And that even that they're usually – you know, there's a, a, a psychiatric requirement and all of those pieces. But what do you think were the, the the keys that you needed to focus on to get yourself ready for this experience? I think what made this different than any other time is I had to really come honest with myself that I have unhealthy relationships with food and that I needed to really find better coping mechanisms. So I think one of the things that I really worked on with this time and realized through working through therapy and everything else is your reward doesn't have to be food. Your reward can be just hitting the goal itself and being able to tell people. And it was one of those things that, you know, it, it was just difficult. But through going to therapy, through going to support and hearing other people talk about it, it really did help me have a clear, palpable way of this is how you can have success. And another thing that really helped was just seeing some of the men on Instagram who have had success with this and showing their steps through the process. So what is life like when you wake up 
after surgery? Like I know there, like you said, there's the liquid diet after, but what is, what are the biggest changes? Uh, let me, let me rephrase that. What were the things that stand out that you didn't expect right after? Um, so everyone tells you it's like the simplest procedure ever. Uh, fun story. And this is always great. So I naturally have a very deep sleep, even with the sleep apnea. So when I came off the table, they couldn't wake me right away. So when they finally jostled me up, I actually jumped off the table and almost knocked a nurse out. So they restrained me. Um, and then after they restrained me, they took my blood pressure and said, well, your blood pressure is some obscenely high rate. And I'm like, is that bad? They're like, well, you should be having a stroke right now. And in true, in true mental health fashion, I gave myself an anxiety attack. So I brought my um, you know, blood pressure even higher to get through that. And it was one of those things that next thing you know, I can't get out of the post-op room because I'm getting that. And I finally get out and we start on the liquids. And it's one of those things that I think goal-oriented. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna hit my hydration goals. I'm gonna get this right away. I'm gonna hit everything properly. And I took like two ounces of water and my stomach just felt insane, like full, like painful. And it was one of those things that I, you, you read about, but until it happens, you don't realize what that is. And for two weeks, I had to struggle to just get water and protein in. So it was one of those things that really changed. But I also realized how much of my life I could spend not surrounded on food. It was weird because... In my house, I do the cooking for the most of the part. Um, so to have to cook for others and not eat was something that was like life altering for me of, I'm not tasting this. I'm not doing a bit here and there. I'm just trying to figure out how to do this. So I had to completely change my entire lifestyle. And it was one of those things that I finally got to the point that I decided I'm not making anything different for my family. It's I'm providing a healthy meal you're more than welcome to this meal. And if you don't like this meal, here's a pack of hot dogs that's in the fridge. And it, it was funny to see how quickly everyone really got on board and just kind of adopted the lifestyle with me. Well, that's good that they didn't revolt. Yes, it, it came pretty close a lot of times. <laughs> so what? take us through kind of what's been going on. How long has it been since you've had the surgery, Rob? So I had the surgery in June. So I am coming up on my one year. I am 10 months out. Um, the big milestones that I've hit right now is I'm down 150 pounds total and 100 pounds since the surgery. So it's one of those things that as I come up on a year, it's just been really impressive to see that I've stuck with it. I've kept this lifestyle. Um, I obviously can't binge eat like I used to. One of the things that was tough was before, you know, you could eat four or five meatballs on a Sunday dinner plate with your lasagna or your ravioli or your pasta. And now it's, I might have half a meatball. I might have one ravioli or I might eat a little bit more, but it just changes what it looks like every day for my diet for me to be successful. Because surgery is a physical tool. You know, it's not just you're starting a new eating plan. It's a physical change. In, in some ways, it's like, so your ability to, like you said, you're, you can't binge eat anymore. Like all of those things change. How has your emotional relationship with food had to change over these past 10 months as well? It, I'm not going to tell you it's perfect. It's, it's still a major work in progress for me. Um, 
I still find that I want to binge. And that's been really difficult because one thing that I thought that isn't true was that getting the surgery would fix my addiction to food. And it just doesn't. And it's not supposed to do that. You have to fix your addiction to food. So for me, it was one of those things that I really had to realize the why of why am I eating? And a lot of the times I realized it was out of boredom. It was out of anger or frustration or depression. And it was one of those things that now I still have times where I come close to binging or um, you know, in the Northeast, we have Wawa's and it's, you go, you get your gas and they pretty much have like a sandwich shop attached to the gas station. So before I would even just naturally go to get gas and I'd be like, well, I'm here. I might as well, they have a 10 foot Italian hoagie for four ninety nine. Why wouldn't I get that? You know, I'm making a deal and it's just things like that of today. I went into a Wawa to get gas and to fill my water mug up and I didn't get food. And it's changing those sort of things that have really helped me figure out the mental aspect of being successful in this process. Which I, I think is important for people to hear that it's not, cause that's, cause I, I, I think you, and you know this as someone who's kind of active in the Instagram community, you're going to see people that hear that someone had surgery of any kind and they immediately are like, Oh, well they're taking the easy road or they, yeah, they don't, they don't struggle because they had the surgery. Like, I think it's important for people to understand that, it's not brain surgery. Oh, the hunger is real. Right. The hunger is very real. I see a bag of Doritos that my kids have. I pretty much have to roll it up and throw it in the pantry because if that is out, I'm still going to attack those Doritos like 365 pound rock. And that, and that's one of those things that, especially with the Instagram community, I try to show it. And I'm really proud of, you know, other things that you post and others post of no, just because I've lost the weight doesn't mean like all of a sudden, hey, look at this. I love one Triscuit and all I need is one Triscuit and now I feel great. It's no, I still want five guys. I still want that meal and it's not a fix. And that's something that I think I wish more men in my community would just get out is, yeah, you know, VSG and WLS is a tool, but it doesn't fix the fact that you're still going to have an addiction to food and that you have to do the mental work of redefining your relationship with food. And I think there's a fear on the part of people that have had the surgery to admit that those struggles still exist because then someone can say, oh, well, yeah, the surgery doesn't work. And that's the first thing they say. And I think another problem we have is we're so happy to post the success of it that we don't post the fact that, yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night and I have to go to bed right now because if I stay up, I'm just going to go to the pantry and see what's in there. As if I don't grocery shop myself and I don't know what's in there. And it's one of those things I try to show and what I really like is even what you show on your page is just, yeah, here, here's what's going wrong for me. You know, I think one of the cool things I've seen you do in the last couple of weeks is you're really going back to showing here's what I eat in a day but also this is kind of where I have a bump in the road and here's where I kind of adjust for it. I think it's about getting, getting okay, being okay with realizing that no one's perfect. And it's when we strive for that perfection and try to create that perfect image and all of that, that it not only sends the wrong message to other people, but it sends the wrong message to ourselves. Like it sends this message that, you know, you start to even more devalue your, yourself and the work you've done because there's still things you need to work on. And it's like getting okay with realizing 
I'm going to be a work in progress forever and make peace with that. And once you make peace with that, it's like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. Because it's hard to define action. It's hard to define choices and all of those things when you're trying to say that everything's perfect. Yeah. And I think one of the struggles that I had growing up was as the oldest son, I would naturally put on myself that I have to be the example for my younger brothers. And it was, I had to be perfect. I had to have the car. I had to have the house. I had to graduate right on time. I had to be top of my class. I had to go back for my master's. And you do all these things. And there's this fear that God forbid you show that you're a failure, that someone's going to think something. And one of the things that I decided when I made my Instagram page and I wanted to go on this is I'm going to show the bad stuff. I'm going to show that I still struggle with if there's pizza in our faculty lounge and I smell it, I have to like run out of the room still because I know I'll eat way too much if I'm stuck there. And it's one of those things that I wish I said more, but I also talk more about is I'm going to be a binge eater for the rest of my life. That's not going to go away. It's how am I working towards it? How am I managing it? And, you know, like I had two days in a row so far where I didn't binge. It doesn't mean I'm cured. And it's one of those things that like it's tough and it's difficult to talk about is the fact that like it's not going away ever in my life. And I think that's important. Like, I, I, I hear that from clients a lot. Like, you know, just tell me that someday I won't have this struggle. And, uh, you know, I, that, that human side of you that wants to support someone wants to say, yes, the potential's there. You know, you're going you're gonna to conquer this. It's going to go away. And I, I think the more realistic response that I try to give to people is the struggles are going to be there. It's just that we get better. You know, we get stronger. We get better at handling those triggers. We get better at knowing what other behaviors we should be using. We build new coping mechanisms. We find new ways to tackle these challenges. So it doesn't mean that they go away. It means that our response changes. And that's that's so powerful, just how you put that out there. And it's important we realize that is the importance of coaching. One of the toughest things for me, you know, and, and go back to that male ego is just admitting that happens. You know, having to admit that I'm not perfect and that I'm never going to have this part of my life perfect is tough for me to even say, but every day it gets a little easier. But it's also what I like that you said and you mentioned that you do in your coaching and all the other podcasts as well is this idea of what are we building in place to fix that? And it's important to put it. So it's almost like the hole's always going to be there, but how do we put like a manhole cover over it so you don't fall in? Well, let's talk about that because it's something you brought up earlier is this idea of all of these things that food used to be for you. Because the reality is all of the things that were triggering the, the need for food or the, the use of food aren't going away. You know, happiness, sadness, all of those feelings, they don't change. They don't leave ourselves. So what do you think are the things that you're working on to help you build new coping mechanisms or what are those new coping mechanisms for you? So there's so many, and it's one of those that I really had trouble when we went into COVID. Uh, we kind of were nervous, like a lot of people across the world were of, am I going to lose my job? Is there going to be money coming in? So it was one of those things that we kind of rehauled our budget too. And one of my 
you know, vices was this idea of I would retail therapize. If I wasn't eating or drinking, retail therapy was my third thing. So we kind of cut those out. And one of those things that helped with me was I looked at from checking my bank accounts. If I was going to binge on fast food, that could be anywhere from 10 to $15. So I started to mentally tell myself, okay, if I can just go today without, you know, having a binge of fast food, I'm going to take 10 to $15 and I'm going to put it in my Boba Fett piggy bank. And yes, I have a Boba Fett piggy bank. You're, you're not going to judge me on this. But, um, you know, so I started to put the money in there and I wouldn't even look at the money. I wouldn't count it. It was just one of those, you know what? I survived this fight. I got in there. Um, and I slowly started to put it away. And I realized after started tracking all of my funds in a month, I was spending like $600 on fast casual a month, which is insane for tacos and cheeseburgers that I could make myself better, but just kind of doing that. So I took that money and I started to build a home gym out of my basement. And it was one of those of, yeah, it's still retail therapy, but it's controlled. I'm managing it. I have a budget for it. Um, and now I kind of have like my own setup that I'm sitting down looking at right now while we're having this talk. And I'm proud of that. And it's a purchase that is about moving you is about working towards all the goals that you have, you know, all of your purpose and what you're doing, the reasons for getting healthier, for being there for your family. You can't, I mean, yes, I, we all know people with, with the home gyms where it's like, well, now I have to get the new, I have to get the new X and the new Y and the new Z. And like, I already have dumbbells, but if I were to get the dumbbells that look a little cooler, you know, you can fall into those yeah, traps as well. Absolutely. But I have, I have just enough dumbbells to do my workout. But I, I think, there's something transformative to say I'm taking that money that I would have spent on self-harm basically and putting it towards self-betterment. Yeah. And I think it's something that's really powerful because it's almost like instead of digging the hole, you're building something just like you said, and it really helped. And another thing I realized was the idea of sometimes I just have to remove myself from situations. So it's, when there's food out and I want to eat or I want to pick, a lot of times I go for a walk. And from just walking, getting out of the house and clearing my head and calling my support people, where I have about three or four friends that I can call at any time when I'm struggling and they pick up the phone. And I'm so grateful that I have that in my life, that I have family that does that and I have friends that do that. And it just helps. And it was one of those things that you know, I started doing where I was going to hit 15,000 steps a day. I had read somewhere that, you know, in those ancient towns in Italy and in Japan and everywhere that those people that lived to 100 hit, you know, 12,500 steps a day. And I was like, well, let me do a little more than that. And I made an even 15. And I just started trying to hit that goal every day. And you're actually headed towards a milestone in that, aren't you? I am. So today I hit my 198th day in a row of hitting 15,000 steps a day. And my goal is, uh, you know, to hit 200 and then keep going from there. But I just wanted to give a little bit of a shout out of um, one of the things I love about the men in the Instagram community is Brett Yo, who you've had on the show before. I started following him when I was starting all this and he had a step goal that he hit every day and he got up to like 180 steps. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try that. 
And I actually got to meet him last week and just talk about it. And it's the same thing. You start walking in your neighborhood and people start noticing that you're doing it. And you get comments of, hey, what? how many days do you do this every day? And it was one of those things that I just kept steamrolling. And it would get weird after posting some days. I would get messages if I didn't post at the end of the day that I hit my step goal. They'd be like, did you do it today? Did you make it? And it was one of those like, yes, I just, I didn't make that my evening post. So it's been one of those things that it's been my non-negotiable um, through this whole process is I add different fitness things that I'd like. But the one that I consistently say heck, high water, rain, snow, sleet, hail, um, I'm hitting my step goal. And I think that word that you just used is really important, non-negotiable. Because I think too often, especially when people build fitness goals for themselves or try to get into a fitness routine or even think about like an eating plan or any of those things or water, sleep, all of those things, they set goals but they don't really sit down with themselves and say, so this happens no matter what. You know, this is, I make this happen no matter what. If I, I've got a big, I've got like a, a conference at work that day that's going to prevent me from doing a lunchtime walk, I get up earlier so I can get the steps in. You know, like you, it's either make time, there's a, there's a, there's a saying, and of course I'm not going to remember it right now while we're talking, but it's, it's basically goes to that idea that if it's important to you, you'll make time for it. And, exactly. And go ahead. Uh, no, I'll, I'll butcher it too. It's something of like, if you change from say, like, it's not a priority to me to something like that. It's the other is the opposite of that. See, so I'll butcher it worse than you can. Um, it's one of those where it just became some things that helped me was I have a treadmill and I have a TV in front of me. And one of the things I do is I don't sit and watch TV until I hit my step goal. So, uh, again, huge star Wars nerd. Um, New episode of The Bad Batch came out today, and I wanted to watch it before I went to work. So I woke up early, and it's like, well, if I'm waking up early and watching this episode, I'm doing it from the treadmill. And it was one of those things that today even, it was kind of crazy. So I watched the episode, and then I'm like, well, Mandalorian's coming up yet next. Let me watch a couple episodes of this. So I watch one before I go to work, and then I'm working after school kind of uh, supervising sporting events and I'm moving from place to place and I hit 30K steps today. But I wouldn't have hit 30K steps today if I woke up and said, you know what, I'm just going to sit and watch TV to start. So it's those small things that you make non-negotiable and work. Because it would have been easy to say, I'm just going to get up and watch it. You know, it's not a big deal. I'll get my steps in later. I'll do it later. And the problem is later never comes. Exactly. And I think that was my problem where I finally got to a point in my health where it was, oh, well, right after I finish my master's, I'm going to really focus on my health. Or once I get settled into this job, I'm going to really focus on my health. Or once I get my kids out of daycare, I'm going to really focus on my health. And one of those things that I'm really proud of is the fact that from working out from home, I can make time and still be around my family and not have to miss a lot of that. And you're not just, you know, you've got your, your steps and working out and the changes you're making. You're also, in a, in a way, because we're, uh, you know, talking about Instagram, you're, you're giving back. You know, you're, 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 you're spreading that support that you've received around to other people. And that's, that's one of those things that I, you know, I look at people like you. I look at people like Brett. I look at people like Ethan Still, Jarp's Journey. There's so many on there 
that set this example and set this way that it was one of those things that I just want to help. Uh, there's not many of us in this community that can go out and kind of be there. And I just hope that I could be a support for them. Um, one thing that I do is every Monday, we started about a month ago, uh, we have uh, Men's Support Monday. It's nine o'clock Eastern time. It's open to everyone. It's pretty bariatric friendly, but it's just a place for men to kind of talk and answer questions about weight loss and health. And it's been really awesome seeing so many people come out and just share their story, but also be able to answer questions of people of how do I handle a binge? Or I'm really stressed at work. How do I de-stress myself? Or every other Instagram page I see are women and shout out, they do amazing, but it's a little different like for us. So just even to have that space, you know, I'll be the first to say I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV, but, uh, you know, I'm a guy who's gone through it, just like you with their weight and the struggle with that. And how can we help and get the resources in front of men to help them with this process? And the reason, you know, I, I think it's great that you're doing it. And I think all of your activity with your account is great. I think sometimes people, they're like, well, you know, why are you sharing this? Why are you sharing that? Like, why is this important? Like asking all those questions. So the question I, I would ask you in, in it all, Rob, is not just... You know, I wanted to get out there what, what you're doing for people. And we will talk about what your Instagram handle is because I don't think we've said it yet. Um, but what does doing that, how does that help you? Like, t take people into that so they can understand what sharing your experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then offering that support does for the person who's doing it. So I think for doing it, the best part of this that I've had is I've had people and accounts that follow me that I don't interact with a lot will message me after some of the Instagram lives and they'll be like, oh, by the way, I got this leave three years ago. I struggle with it, but I don't tell anyone. And it just, it makes me realize how many of us are out there that aren't open and honest with it. And I get why. Each person's different on that. Um, the bad part of all this is really just that it makes me realize how many of us are out there that aren't open about it, aren't willing to talk about it. Um, and the ugly part is there's a lot of guys who share with me and are just like, yeah, I'm really suffering and I don't know where to go. So it's one of those things that I try to find resources for people. I try to find other people for them to connect to. And it's one of those things that if you're listening to this and you need help, Mondays at nine, you can also message me. And we, we try to figure that out. And again, I'm not a medical professional. I always talk to your medical professional, but I'm just a dude who struggled like every other dude out there. And I'm just willing to say, hey, I struggle and I'm here. And I think what I'm trying to get at with it, with the question, and maybe I don't know if it was it was phrased properly, is what is the benefit for Rob to do this? I guess for me, it, it keeps me honest to a certain level. It's, I make sure that I show that, yes, I did have a binge today, or yes, I you know, did hit my goals today. And there's something really beneficial of, for me, it's cathartic. I think so much of this, when I look at how my journey started, was I wasn't going to tell anyone. And every time that I put on there that I'm a binge eater, a little bit of me feels a little bit more comfortable saying that phrase. And it's tough. Every time I say I used to be fat, 
it gets a little easier. And there's a level of catharsis for me that it really does help me come to terms with the fact that I'm a binge eater. I'm always going to be a binge eater. I'm going to struggle with my binge eating till the day I die. But every time I post it, there's a little bit of me that feels that I'm more comfortable with it. And I almost own it as like a badge of honor. Which I think it's important for people to hear, to realize that sharing our experiences and sharing them the way that you do. And it's not just about sharing it so that people clap and sharing it. So people feel heard themselves and all of those things. It is, it it does go back to creating this like incredible level of accountability. Like it goes back to creating this, this place for yourself where, you know, some, maybe someone could do it with a journal. You know, there might be someone who could do that, but it's this idea of knowing that you're going to be sharing these experiences that, helps with that honest side of it that helps with that kind of keeping it raw and real and just building that strength because I, I think you're right I think there's a lot of men out there who struggle who don't want to talk about it who don't want to share it because they're worried about appearing weak or challenged or any of those things and that's really where the genesis of this podcast came from it was the uh, you know my thought that there weren't a lot of people just talking to guys that are having these struggles and giving them a place to share them and giving them a place to put it out there so that other people know that they're not alone and they can draw some strength and connection and, and all of those things from it. And before we get too far away from it, Rob, what is your what is your account name and how can people find it? My weight is history with underscores in between each one of them. I'm a history teacher by day uh, and I'm trying to support the men in this community by night. Um, but real quick, I want to backtrack because I, I kind of want to go with you and Gourmet as a true teacher. I'm going to polish your apple a little bit right now. Um, one of the things that really inspired me with you is, and take this as the biggest compliment possible, which whenever you say that, it means it's going to sting a little, mm-hmm. you put, you put some really unflattering pictures mm-hmm. of yourself out there. And I just, I admire the vulnerability that you put on and it comes up in men's support so many times of, I want to post my before picture, but I'm embarrassed. So could you kind of like explain your why and how that helps? Because I get it all the time in men's support of, I want to post my before picture, but I'm so afraid that some troll that I never met in East Kakalaka is going to call me tubby or something like that. Well, I think a big part of it for me was I have been trolled my whole life, you know, before trolling was a thing before the internet existed, you know, I am on the ancient side. Uh, I was bullied and got comments and all of those things when I was a kid. And I eventually reached this place of this is who I am. Accept it. Don't accept it. I really don't care. And, you know, sometimes people say that and they're like, well, that's a defense mechanism to kind of shield yourself from what you're really feeling. But for me, it was like almost like I built an identity around it. And originally when I came on Instagram, I was sharing. It was like a foodie account where I was sharing food and I was sharing my relationship with food as it was. Um, it's funny because like we were talking before we started recording and you were asking, you know, you said Gour- you thought Gourmet was my name or was just like a ubiquitous kind of name for me. And Gourmet came from, my original Instagram handle was Gormandizer. And the word Gormandize means to eat voraciously. My last name is Gorman. It all seemed like it fell into place perfectly for me. And I had this account where it was like, let me just share this kind of like out there crazy food experience and kind of shove it in people's faces and know that 
it's almost like that that place of make the joke before someone else does. So I would stage these crazy pictures and post them and share them, and they existed. And that's one of my big regrets about Instagram deleting my previous account is because whenever people would say, you know, where did these pictures come from? I'm like, well, I, they're on Instagram from three years ago in a much different context. And they would scroll back and come back to me a few days later and be like, yeah, I spent an hour scrolling back on your account the other day. That's wild. And so I developed this kind of like shamelessness with, with it. And so I have a ton of these crazy pictures that now I use to speak to where I was at that point in my life and share them because I think there's something that comes out of it where people can kind of see the intensity of, of my relationship with food and see where I am now and understand then that there's the possibility to change because while not everyone is taking pictures of themselves posing with Big Macs sitting on their stomach, they know that experience of, of the Big Mac being the focus of their world, you know, of feeling like the Big Mac was the only thing that mattered and can resonate with the fact that you're t kind of taking it off the table and making change. And so, th and there's shock value to it, to be honest, you know, I'll be honest. Like, I, I think that's something that I always enjoy um, is, is, you know, the jaw dropping comments and things along those lines, like to show the contrast of, of the changes that I've made. And, but it also kind of reminds me of where I've come from and where I used to be and where I am now. And what are the things I still need to work on? And what are the things that I have worked on. So I, I have to tell you, I, I have to give you my private Instagram handle after this because you just touched upon so many things I want to talk about. Um, the relationship with food. Um, as a big guy, getting ahead of it first, like I used to use humor and make fun of my weight so quickly when I met people and when I worked a room because I figured, well, if I told the joke, I just took that out of your arse. And it was one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm giving you my private account after we're done with all this. But it was one of those because I never felt comfortable being in front of a camera. I was comfortable taking pictures of what I cooked. And when I looked at how I used to cook, it was that same thing. It's this level of decadence of like, here's this 13 pound prime rib that I covered in butter and, you know, made an garlic herb butter glaze to put over it and you know here's 15 steaks i put on the grill and it was all this food porn and it was one of those things of why i don't go back to my private account is i realized even when i looked at what i followed on that account it was all restaurants that i wanted to go to food i really liked and then next thing you know i it's like i'm confused of why i'm hungry when i get off instagram so it was one of those things that like i've really focused on psychologically putting things in front of my eyes that either inspire me or give me an idea of a healthy choice. Um, almost every day I listen to at least one podcast. Of course, yours is my first uh, and the other five ones that I follow every day. But it's one of those that I put in my ears, things that help me get successful with weight loss. And I think that's something that we can all do is, you know, instead of looking at the food porn, look at the meal preps for healthy stuff or, instead of listening to the same song for the 57th time in your life, put a podcast on of people who are working towards their goals or trying to manage their weight loss. And that's one of the, the, the things about social media that sometimes people will say is a negative, that it's a curated experience. I think it's important to realize that you can curate that experience to be the tool that you need. You know, you can not just, because also I think in a lot of ways by when you share, you know, when you share the things that you share, I share the things that I share, it helps us build connections with like-minded people that are going to give us that account that 
uh, not account, accountability and support and resonance and all of those things that can be so incredibly powerful. Like you talk, you know, some of the names you listed are people that I consider very important, you know, to me in ways that I don't think they'll ever really understand in terms of what, you know, the, the support I've gotten from them on my journey. And I think that's so important that we be willing, but I, I think part of being able to build those, because I get that question a lot. I don't know if you ever have, like where someone says, well, you know, how do I find like, like-minded people on Instagram? You know, how do I find these people that will support me? You know, how do I find these people that I can build camaraderie with? And my response is always share yourself, share who you are, be honest, be open, be vulnerable, because that's something that people respond to. That's something that people are going to, and yes, sometimes being vulnerable means you open yourself up to, to getting crap comments. You know, I get those comments sometimes, especially when I post pictures that are, you know, someone who's got zero followers, zero posts, and they're leaving a comment. And I know that it's someone who created, you know, created an account just to troll people. Yeah. Good job by you, by the way. Like, what are you doing with your time? That's like, Hey, you know what I need to do? I need to go on the internet and make fun of dudes who are trying to lose weight. That's a special type of hell they're going to go. Oh, to for sure. For sure. And it's like, you can't let that beat you up. You know, you have to understand that when you're, you're putting yourself out there, that you're putting yourself out there for everything. And, but the gems that you find end up being worth so much more than the garbage piles you have to sometimes step over. Oh yeah. And it was one of those things that it was one of the most eye-opening things that made me realize like before I would just post my success and kind of do things. And I was like, okay, this is just me kind of kissing my own rump while we're going on. But then sleeved athlete, David, who I've never met, but I've talked to a bunch since then. He made this one random post of like, shout out to all the men in, you know, all the weight loss surgery men. There's like three of us out there and it's great to know you. So I kind of did this thing where I was like, you know what? Why don't I just post like, hey, let's get all the VSG men out there and represent. And it was literally like at the end of Avengers when all the portals open up. People were like, oh, you need to know this person. No, no, no. This person has to get on. And we got, I want to say, about two to 300 accounts off that post that everyone connected with. And it was just, you know, the Internet's like a really mean place. But that was probably one of the most heartfelt things ever was it just dawned on me, there's all these people out here who are looking for help and are willing to just share, hey, you need to know this person, or hey, here's this guy in the UK that we follow, and you need to catch up with him, or oh, you're talking about the UK, you got to go and check out this guy, he's from Wales, and you know, Dave VSG is on there, and it was the same thing with men's support. When I did the first one, it was one of those, like, let's just see who comes, and it was weird because in true male fashion, no one commented on the first live, but after it was over, there's like 15 to 20 people, yoga, do you need me to come on? Hey, could I talk about this subject? And it's been phenomenal just seeing how organically the men's weight loss community is coming together and really trying to just support each other. And it's something that you do every day. It's something that, you know, Jason, the Smithsonian does every day. And there's more and more of us that are coming out and helping in this journey. And it's just, it, Warms my heart every day. So Oh, for sure. One of the things I love the most is when guys that have come on the show connect with each other and then build friendships. And I see them tagging each other in posts and talking to each other and, you know, seeing those relationships develop because they found each other, you know, through the different resources. Like, I, I think that that sense of connection can just be so important because 
while there are some really important things that we discuss with those people in our everyday lives, you know, that we see face to face all the time, there are times where you need to talk to someone who understands exactly what you're going through. And often the people that we are in our family, in our close friend circles, they might not understand. They might not know exactly what it means. Like when you're saying you smell the pizza in the, the, the lounge and have to walk out. You know, when I, when I need to talk to someone who understands that I'm going to bed early because I feel like if I stay up, I'm going to keep eating. Like knowing that you can reach out to people and, and have someone else say, even if they say, I've never had that exact experience, I understand what it's like to have that desperation. I understand what it's like to have those feelings. Like th there's a real power there. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, they made that Seinfeld episode about George Costanza eating uh, the eclair that's hovering over the garbage. But until, until you've been in our shoes, you don't know what it's like to throw out food and then look in the, look in the trash can and be like, well, it's not really in there. And that's, and that's something you don't want to share with people because it's, it's very embarrassing. But it's nice to know that other dudes have that feeling every now and then of, yeah, it's in there, but I can see it. I, I think technically it's still good. And the fact that that thought crosses your mind is tough to share with people who don't get it. It's nice to share with people to say, yes, I have to throw away food because if it's in the house, it's going to go right into me. Or if I justify that I'm saving a starving kid from Africa by eating the other half of the Girl Scout cookie thin mints, I don't know where that kid is, but I haven't helped him in 37 years for me. So it, it's one of those where, you know, like until there's people who have felt that together, you just don't get it. So, Rob, let, let's talk about what's what's going on with you going forward. Like, what are the things that you're still working on? What are the things that are coming up next for you that you're working on? So I am right now at 215. My goal weight that my surgeon gave me is 180. So this summer, I'm kind of going to try to attack that goal. But the more I keep looking at myself, I think on it 180 might be unrealistic for me because I'm starting to go from people sending me messages of, you look great, to, are you okay? So it's one of those things that I'm still working with my therapist and my medical team to figure out what my current goal should be. But that's something that I'm really coming to terms with is what you said is not being so hell-bent on a number and really just be more hell-bent on, am I living happily? Am I moving around physically in a great way? One of the things I'm proudest of is I just completed the intermediate level of DDP yoga, and I can get my leg like up to my shoulder blade. And from someone who used to have a busted shoulder, I couldn't move my arm, you know, I couldn't move my shoulder above my shoulder blade at certain points in my life. And I can now just like tie my shoes while standing up and, it's really just working on those goals of what does my new fitness level look like that I've really been excited about. I think that sounds awesome, man. And I think it sounds like things that you will. And that's the, th like, that's the thing. Like I, you know, when people say, you know, what should my goal weight be? You know, it's, it ends up being something that you personally have to define. Yes. There's, there's medical advice. There's psychological advice. But really, in the end, it has to be something that you build with a holistic perspective on your life. Like, am I at a place where my relationship with food is balanced and I physically am achieving the things that I want to achieve? Because if you're not, 
then okay, keep working on that. You know, like if you're not like find ways to keep you moving forward, but it, it is okay to kind of really pull back the camera a little bit and say, well, maybe this is in a place where I'm happy with this. And I think that's hard. Like, I think that's hard, especially when weight loss has so much defined our existence in many ways. When you're heading to that place of not thinking about weight anymore, that's a scary place to be. And it's a scary prospect to think, okay, that part of the work is done. What do I work on now? Like, and it, I think failure is almost certain when someone doesn't put that thought in, when someone doesn't find a new goal to work towards, doesn't find new parameters to set that are things that they're working on and working towards and being conscious of and having built that mindfulness. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, as we're talking about this, uh, do you remember those old, horrible NBC commercials, The More You Know? Oh, yeah. I feel like we, we have to, like, shoot one where it's like, hey, guys, the only number that really matters, the one that makes you happy, the more you know. But, but it's the truth. Like, it, it's kind of sappy, but it's one of those of I started to get so hell-bent on numbers that it was, it was unhealthy. And if you're working a diet to that point and it's unhealthy, you're not doing well. And one cool thing that um, the Smithsonian Jason did is he's like, look, I'm 6'4". My Wonderland is 250. I'm 248. This is my Wonderland. And we put such a stress on hitting under 200 pounds as like this magical number. And for dudes, it's kind of like, well, no, if I'm 6'4 and I get to 180, I'm going to die. Like, you know, like I'm going to collapse and they're going to have to put IVs into me at that point. So it's, it's just us reestablishing what our goals are of just how do we move around? How do we feel with ourselves and how are we comfortable? For sure. For sure. So Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for, for being willing to kind of dive into all of this with us today. Take us into the different things, not just that you've worked on, but that you're continuing to work on and that you're sharing with everyone. So can you one more time let people know where they can find you and also that that support live that you're running. So it's my weight is history uh, with underscores in between each one of them. Um, Mondays we have Instagram live. It's almost always nine o'clock unless it isn't. And then it's eight o'clock sometimes. Um, but you know, like one of the things in our goal is we're just trying to get people out in our community to just talk about things that either have been successful for them or things that we're all struggling with at the same time. And as a spoiler alert, you know, am I allowed to say you're coming on? Of course. Soon? Cause I already did. So <laughs> good Too job. Late by now. Me. Too late now. But, um, no, yeah, exactly. This will all get cleaned up in editing. We promise or it won't. Um, but no, it's just so many questions I get are, how do I eat now that I have this surgery? And a big problem we have is, you know, you see a lot of the other accounts that are out there and it's like, hey, here's this dainty Cobb salad that you look at and you're like, that's not going to fill me as a man even after having 80% of my stomach removed. So one of the things I love is when we see the men in our community show, no, this is like my hearty eggs meal. This is how I still have bacon in my diet, but in moderation or in a proper amount, you know, it helps. So Rob, I end every episode with five questions called the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready to run through them? I'm a teacher. Of course I prep for this. Of course, of course. Hopefully you've done your homework. We, we I will, did. We'll, we'll have to give you a grade at the end. 
Although I'm, now, I'm the annoying kid who announces, "Hey, you didn't do. We didn't go over this at the end." So. Yeah. What What is our homework for next week? We'll talk about that. Yeah. But first, Rob, let's get into it. Question number one: Tell us, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? It's all the men in the Instagram community. So it's you in true, you know, kiss ass form. Uh, it's you. It's Ethan Still. It's the Smithsonian. Uh, it's Jarvis Journey. It's all these guys that just go out and reach out to them and connect with them. Uh, that are going and just trying to help set a lighthouse. It's Leave Believe the Hype. It's your Uncle Terry. It's so many of them that just go out and show this is what it's like living both after surgery or even just with weight loss without surgery and getting that together. I like it. Has anyone answered you, by the way? Yes. And it's oh. always awkward. So that's, yes, what, so that's why I, luck I luckily get to move on to question number two. Which is, Rob, tell us, what is one lesson that being a fat guy has taught you? I know how to own a room. I will say one thing I got very good with. Um, when I go into a room, there's like three things that every fat guy does. One is they check to see what chair will support them. And I say that in dead truth. It's kind of funny, but it's true. You make sure you get to wherever that chair is. So when everyone sits down, you don't have that awkward, what am I going to do? The second thing I learned to do, which unfortunately caused a lot of bad relationships with me, is I realize what I'm going to say when someone comments about my weight to rip them in half. And that's something I still work with not doing, but mentally works in there. Um, and then the third thing is, it's how do I build a conversation and talk with people so that you don't see 365-pound Rob, you just see Rob. And that, I think, is a big fear we have as big guys, is this idea that you know, I'm just going to be seen as the fat guy in the room. I like it, man. Question number three, Rob. Someone out there listening hasn't gotten their journey started and they've decided that they're going to do something today to get going. What is one thing that they can do? Track your calories and track your steps. Um, I think where I failed the most at every weight, whether I tried to lose weight at 220, 240, 270, 310, 315, 360, and up to 365, is when I start, I'm going to jump into the shallow end head first and say, hey, I'm only going to eat 2,000 calories a day, or I'm going to run five miles every day. And it's like, well, what do you do now? And it's, well, I don't run any miles a day, and I still don't run miles a day. You know, so it's one of those things that when I started the process, what really was successful for me this time than any other time was I openly and honestly saw how much I was eating and drinking and logged everything. And I realized I was spending anywhere between, you know, five to eight thousand calories a day on food. So to go down to two thousand would have just been impossible and it causes more binges. So just figure out where you're at and start by subtracting like five hundred calories for a month. And just low and slow work it off. Smart advice, man. Question number four, Rob. What is one thing about yourself that you love? I love that I'm finally advocating for myself. I'm advocating for others. And that I'm finally comfortable enough to admit that I have mental health issues. But that isn't what defines me. It's just a part of me. There we go, man. And question number five, Rob. What is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Um, this one, I, I got to tell you, I don't have all my answers. So, you know, I, I polished the apple too much on one. And this one really is just 
I'm really taking the next year to redefine my relationships with people in my life, good or bad, and seeing how I can rebuild them so that it's not about food, but also what's in it for me. I like it. And I think it's probably as big of a challenge as, as moving the scale sometimes. So I, I think that's, Absolutely. A, that's a great goal. Well, Rob, I just want to say a big thank you again for coming on the show. I appreciate all that you're doing every day, but also appreciate you taking this time. Thank you so much for having me, Gormy. This was awesome. And everyone out there, you know how to find Rob. The link to his Instagram will be in the show notes, so make sure you check him out. If you want to connect with me on Instagram, you can find me at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can find me on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And you can always find my latest blogs and what I'm doing with coaching over on theketoroad.com. So my friends, go out there. Do something today to amaze yourselves because you're the most amazing people that I know. Then come on back and catch us here on the next Fat Guy Forum.